Sometimes you don't age so gracefully. I needed a little note to remind me, um, just a small note to remind me to do things I'm supposed to do. But I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. So uh, last week, um, we spent a great deal of time looking into David's fall into sin. Um, so David, um, up to that point, had been an example uh, that, that you could follow. He had been a man of faith. He had been a man of patience. Uh, he had been a man of obedience. He had done what God had told him to do. Um, he had tried to never overstep his bounds. Everything that David did seemed to be in line with God's will. If he made some small misstep or some small mistake that was corrected, he did what he was supposed to do. And so it was so disturbing and alarming. Last week as we read, it just starts with this, this, this tragic scene where David sees something that he's not supposed to see or, or, or shouldn't consider, and then he goes after another man's wife, and once that goes the way that you kind of expect it to go, he, he tries to cover it up. It doesn't go that well for him, and so he eventually commits murder by another man's hand, essentially by killing the woman's husband. And then he brings this woman into his house, and she becomes his wife. And David, at the end of it, for all the public's view, is actually doing a good and kind thing. He's, he's, he's performing a service um, that God had prescribed for people to do. So it seems as if he is being kind by bringing this woman into his household and, and, and basically um, allowing her husband's line to continue and his property to, to, to pass down to a, a descendant of his. The very last words in 2 Samuel chapter 11 uh, says that um, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Um, so when we read that uh, chapter 11, it's, it's almost like who is going to hold that king accountable? Who can hold a king accountable? If a king is, 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 is the highest rank in the land, who can hold that king accountable? But yet, as we look, we see that, that God is displeased, and God is going to take action. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So today we will see the aftermath of David's sin, uh, in which the king faces his mistakes and learns what must happen for him to move forward. Um, so the sermon in a sentence is, is, is this. Um, sin is never without consequence, but it can be forgiven if we turn from it and follow the ways of the Lord. So we're going to be looking, um, you're aware of the sin of David. He committed adultery. He uh, effectively committed murder. He lied to cover it all up. So we're going to be looking at this sin, and we're going to see what are the consequences for that sin, and how. what does David have to do now to kind of move forward. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read you seven verses, not even all of verse 7. So um, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, and then we're going to move over to Psalm 51, because in Psalm 51, David, we get to see David's spiritual reply um, to this whole scene um, in his life. And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. I'll give you some time to turn. We'll go to Psalm 51 and we'll read that prayer. So it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him, uh, and Nathan, by the way, is a prophet, so he, this, this is the right sort of person to go. And David had dealt with uh, uh, Nathan already. So he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. 
the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to, it used to eat uh, of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. By the way, at this point, David believes that Nathan is bringing him a report of something that actually happened. He doesn't know that this is a, a parable um, that's about to accuse him. So in verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Okay, so I'm going to stop there um, because I, I'll kind of fill you in on what happens. But we want to go over to um, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and this is a familiar prayer. Uh, many of you probably know that this is the prayer that David would have prayed right after uh, Nathan spoke to him, or maybe after some reflection, but this was his response to what Nathan said to him. Um, so he says, or he begins in Psalm 51, verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O God, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise." For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar." Okay, so we're going to break this up into three parts, and the first part is going to be the sin and consequence, okay? So David's sin, and there's consequence with that, so that's where we're going to uh, kind of begin. Um, it's very likely, given kind of the, the, the flow of the story and God's pretty much wonderful timing, it's very likely that Nathan arrives on the day that Bathsheba is giving birth. 
Um, it, it, that's very likely, or the day, the day after, but right in that ballpark, when David is living a whole different kind of life than what he was when he got into this mess in the first place. Um, so it, it's probably nine months later, um, and, and, and David, he's in a different place emotionally. He's just a different person at this point because he's kind of moved on from that dark period of time. But David was going about his life as if he, is, as if he had never sinned until Nathan came for a visit. Here's the thing, as bad as sin is, and as bad as David's sin is, if you don't confess it, if you don't repent of it, if you don't face consequences for it, if you just move forward, you can find a way to live with that. You can find a way to, to live with that as, as, as part of your life. Um, this is not a very great example, but imagine, for example, um, and, and many of you probably wouldn't do this, but imagine you started a renovation in your house. And so you tore out a couple of walls, you left some things not finished, not the way that it was, and it created some difficulty. Well, at first you're saying, well, I'll finish this in a little bit. And, and so it is what it is. But if you let it go, and you let it go week after week after week into months, it's, it's a renovation, it's a tore up wall, or it's you know something open and exposed, pipes, wires, whatever. But you begin to get used to it. Do you like it? No. Uh, is it something that's acceptable? Not really. Um, do you want company to come back there and see that you haven't finished your job? Absolutely not. But you get used to it. That's about where David was with his sin. It was there. He says it's ever before me. He knows that it's there, but he's gotten a little bit used to it. And so his life is, is back to he's king, he's judge, he's doing the things that he's supposed to do. And so when Nathan comes to him with this story of the rich man and the poor man, David believes he's receiving a report, and so he's going to react as if he is receiving a report. So Nathan uses this parable to reveal a very powerful truth. Now, this parable, it's kind of like a political cartoon in a way. It is a way that someone of a lower social status can hold somebody of a higher social status accountable. So we can't just go, for example, to, to Washington, D.C. and say, hey, all of you are corrupt. Um, and 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 I think people do it now, but the way that it has been done in the past is through political cartoons. Um, if, you, if you study history and you kind of go back into like the 1700s, 1800s, that was all the rage. A political cartoon with a little bit of satire, that was the way that the, 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 the common people uh, and the lower social status people could hold accountable the people of, of higher rank. Well, Nathan uses this parable in the kind of the same way. So he presents this normal story. Um, it's it's bad story, but it's a normal story of a rich man taking advantage of a poor man because the rich man didn't want to pay out of his own pocket for something. So the poor man has this one little lamb uh, and it's part of his family. It lives in the house. It eats from his table. Um, he, he snuggles to it at night. I mean, it's, it's this whole thing. Um, and probably Nathan laid on these details a little bit more because David was a former shepherd, so he probably had a love for, for sheep anyway. And so then he talks about the rich man, and he receives a guest one day, a traveler, a visitor, and instead of taking from his large flocks all the things that he has, he takes from the poor man, takes that one little lamb that he has, and slaughters it and, and puts it before the traveler to feed him, which was, the expectation was that you would feed your visitors, you would feed the people that come to visit you. So that's, 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 it's right to feed, but it's wrong to steal from somebody else. Um, so Nathan uses this to kind of get the point across. Now, if Nathan had directly accused David of some kind of wrongdoing or some, some kind of mistake in this case, most likely David would have tried to deny it. 
Uh, he might have tried to have Nathan removed. I mean, he, he had Uriah killed, and Uriah was valuable. Uriah was a, a warrior, one of the 30. So he had Uriah killed. So how would David have responded if, in, in this particular case, how would David have responded if Nathan had just directly accused him? We don't know. But God led Nathan to use this parable, and so he did. So the prophet uses an illustration um, to help the king see the injustice of his sins. As soon as this story is told, David, his anger burns. This man, this man deserves to die. This man's going to pay back four times what, what he took. There's going to be justice. There's going to be restitution. David was upset. He said, this man had no pity. Well, you can see where Nathan is going with this. David didn't see it. He was kind of blind to it, but, but you can see. And, and, and honestly, in a spiritual sense, David fell asleep at the wheel before he went on the roof that day. He just wasn't paying attention. He wasn't looking with his spiritual eyes. And so all that he did, it was as if he was not aware, if he was not, not clear on what he was doing. And I believe this is the moment where his eyes open. When Nathan says, you are the man, you're the rich man in this story, that's when, when David's eyes were open and he realized, oh, yeah, you got me there. And so that's where things begin to change for David. Um, so um, David had already pronounced his judgment on this rich man. He had already said that this man deserves to die. He had already said that this man has to pay back. Um, so in this particular case, David is, is, is helpless. Um, and, and I would say that, that even in this moment, after the story, after David had pronounced his judgment, Nathan was probably in a little bit of a dangerous situation to stand up to the king and to say what he said, but he doesn't back down. And, and I'll tell you, we do live in a very confrontational society today, at least when those confrontations are happening on the internet, right? On social media, we, we will criticize people if they like a different team than we do. We will criticize people if they like a different car maker than we do. We'll criticize people over their political choices and everything else under the sun. But it is different and it is difficult um, when we actually come to a situation where we've got to talk about people's sin. That all of a sudden is, is a problem. We will disparage people over their opinions all day long, but when it comes to sin, we won't talk to people about it. It is difficult for us to have those conversations. Um, and, 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 you know, it should be difficult. And here's what I would say. The Bible does tell us that we're not to be the judges. God is ultimately the judge. But there's going to come times where God is going to use us like a Nathan to reach out to somebody and help them see what's going on. On the very rare occasion when God calls you to help someone else see their sin, don't, don't falter in that moment. That may be the one thing that brings them back from that dark path. So if you feel that God is saying, hey, I need to speak to this person about this. If you feel God is, is leading you in that direction, don't falter in that moment because you may be the one that brings them back. You may be the one that God is going to use to open their eyes to their sin and turn them from the ways that they're on. And so Nathan was that guy. So when the time is right, Nathan shows no fear in confronting the king with his sin. You're probably sitting here saying, no, my bulletin says when the time is right, David shows no fear. That's because I made a typo. And that's on me. Um, but it's supposed to be Nathan there, so you can scratch that out uh, when you're writing confronting in. So God goes on to list all the things that David did in detail. 
Um, God knows the sins of David. He knows what he did with Bathsheba. He knows what he did about Uriah. God knows everything. He lists off all of these things. Um, God goes on to list also all the things that he would have given David, things that he had given David. I brought you out of a, a shepherd's field. I protected you from Saul. I gave you a kingdom. I gave you wives, and I would have given you more had you remained righteous. Um, and, and, but God knows his sin. God knows everything that he's done. And so David is now in a very, very bad situation. It doesn't really, really get any better. But God gets right at the heart of what David did and what he did wrong. Um, because, and I didn't read this to you, but if you glance at verse 9, it says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? So God isn't saying, Why did you think that lady was pretty? God isn't saying, Why did you want to hide your sin? God is saying, why did you despise the word of the Lord? That's the heartbeat of the issue right there. At least at that moment, David loved what he wanted way more than he loved the word of God. Isn't that true for us when we sin? I mean, when you, when you boil it down, it's not so much what we want and what we don't want. It's not so much that desire or, or trying to get out of trouble. It's ultimately, we don't love the word of God enough to live by it. It's hard to live by the Word of God. There are times when it is a big challenge to, to have faith when, when doubt wants to replace it. It is a big challenge to have integrity when there's an easy opportunity in front of us. It is a big challenge to always do what God has commanded us to do when sometimes it might be easier or more profitable or just more natural to do what we want to do. But in this case, God told David that was why he committed his sin, because he despised his word. That's an important thing. Um, it's an important thing, and we have to recognize that if we love the Lord and we love his word, we will not fall into disobedience. We have to remember that, that when we think rightly and love the Lord and we love his word, we study his word, we, we as one of the songs we sang, feed on his word, when we do that, when we spend time in His Word, we are less apt to fall into sin. Um, the sin in our lives, really, ultimately what it does is it speaks to a deeper uh, commitment that's needed to, for the Lord in our lives. So, um, I don't watch a lot of news, so I don't know if they're still talking about the revivals that happen at these college campuses, but I can tell you revival comes when people recognize their sin, uh, when we repent of our sin, and we draw closer to God. That's what revival is. It, it, I mean, it is, it, is, it is more than that sometimes, it is, it, but it's never less than that. Uh, we have to recognize our sin, repent of our sin, and draw close to God. That's what revival is. And so what we need when we fall into sin, in, in, in those terms, is revival. We need to love the Lord, love His Word, draw near to Him, hate the sin that's in our lives, and then we have revival. That's when it begins to spread. So God goes on to explain some of the consequences that David's going to have. Now remember, David pronounced the man should die. Sin for adultery, or the, the punishment for adultery is death. The punishment for murder is death. So David committed these capital crimes. He had already, in his own judgment, pronounced that a man that did the sort of thing that he did should die. And so here is God giving out the consequences. He says that the sword will never depart from your house, meaning that David is going to have violence the rest of his life. You think about David, he had to be tired of war. I mean, that was pretty much his whole life. From the moment that he struck Goliath with that rock, 
he had been in some kind of conflict ever since. Now, he was winning these battles, and, and, and I'm assuming that winning would be better than losing, but it's still fighting. It's, it's still death. It, it's, it, it's still the worst possible way to settle disagreements. And so there he is in the midst of all that, and God says, now the sword will never depart from you. Because remember, as we read last time, God had given him peace on all sides. When God made his covenant with David, God had given him peace on all sides. And then this happens. This sin and it repeats itself all over again. So David's going to have war. But this time it's not just going to be the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Philistines and all those. It says that it's going to come from your own household. Now, if you're really familiar with the story of David, you know that one of his sons eventually rebels against him. And David even has to flee Jerusalem at one point. Um, so there is civil war within Israel. And it can be traced back to this moment where God judges him and says that this is going to happen because of your sin. But that's not all. Not only is there going to be war in David's life pretty much for the rest of his life, and, 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 and listen, that means that it's not just David paying for this sin, but what about all the young men that are going to die in these wars? What about all the lives that are going to be lost? All of that is also part of the consequence of his sin because sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. It has a ripple effect. It affects everyone. But here's one that's close. It's going to happen soon. And it pretty much confirms the rest of it for David. The child that's been born is going to die. And we, if we continue reading in this chapter, um, we see that, yes, the child does get sick. Uh, David spends some time. Um, and in that time when the child is sick, before the child dies, David goes into a time of, of fasting. Um, he spends time in prayer. That's probably when he wrote the verses that we're going to look at here in a minute in, in, in Psalm 51. Um, but but he, doesn't, he doesn't eat. He has the posture of mourning. Um, and his servants are actually afraid that he's going to die because he's, he's spending so much time away from food and away from you know, all the other life-giving substances. And, and then when the child dies and, and he finds out that the child has died, he gets up, he washes himself, he eats, and he goes on about his business. And he says, there's nothing else I can do for the child here on earth, but if I live the right way, then I can go to be where he is. Um, so somewhere in the middle of all that, David's heart got right, and he began to trust the Lord again. But what we see here is that right away there was consequence. That child died. The consequences keep going because there's more and more war. Um, there's going to be fighting. There's going to be betrayals. There's going to be all kinds of terrible things that happen. We'll look at some of it. We'll, we'll mention some of the other things throughout the latter part of David's life, but it gets really bad. Uh, and, and all that happens can be traced back to this point where, where David committed this sin. You know, and, and so when, when I was talking about the promise um, and the covenant that God made with David, I kind of pointed that direction and said, and God knew about David and Bathsheba when God made this promise to David. Well, now as, as we're going the other way, we're going to realize all of that kind of points back to that same sin. God knew this was going to happen, and here are the consequences for that. Um, so David says at the end of it, when Nathan is done talking, David says, I have sinned. And it seems like he's waiting for the judgment. He's waiting for, now you'll, be, you'll die. Now you won't be king. Now you, you will, you, you'll lose this or lose that. But Nathan says, God has spared you. God has spared you. God didn't throw David away. David made a sin. He did a terrible, terrible thing. But God did not throw him away. And so there are consequences for our sins. But what we see in, in, in David's case is that God had a plan of redemption for his soul. Now, this was Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament times, the law was cut and dry, the punishment was cut and dry, David should have been killed. But God chose to show him mercy as an example of what he's going to do in the future. We live in a New Testament world. We live in a post-Jesus world, and in that world, there is forgiveness for our sins. You see, God was going to overlook David's sins until Jesus ultimately paid the price for him. But in our lives, we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ that's already been spilled. So let's look at David's process um, of repentance because this is going to be, this is important. This is life-giving stuff here to study this. And so um, if you left your, your bulletin or some marker there, uh, I'll be talking about Psalm 51 for the rest of the time. Um, the first thing that we notice about David is his humility and his repentance. And so as, as, he, as he goes on, have mercy on me, O God. Kings don't typically ask for mercy. Kings are the ones that give mercy. They show generosity and they provide judgment and they give consequences. But in this case, um, David is asking for mercy. Um, so we know that um, David probably wrote this prayer sometime in that time when the child was sick, uh, as, is, as he's kind of dealing with his sin and going through um, this process. Um, so uh, it was an uncertain time for David. And so he turned to the only refuge he's ever truly known, which is the Lord himself. Um, again, in secular terms, there's nobody really to hold a king accountable uh, or the highest power in the land accountable. But for David, God could indeed hold him accountable. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So um, God speaks into David's heart and helps him to understand what has to happen, what's, what's going to happen. Um, and so what we see here, he says, Have mercy, O me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Even as a king, David was able to recognize that his sin, or recognize his sin, and understand the gravity of it. He realizes that it's going to take the power of God to deal with his sin. He is aware of that, so he recognizes the gravity of it. He seeks forgiveness from the Lord, not because he thinks that he deserves it, but based on God. So he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to, or because of, your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Um, so he's not saying, God, forgive me because I'm king. God, forgive me because I deserve it. He's saying, God, forgive me because you love me, because you're merciful, because you're good, because you are the mighty God. So he's seeking that forgiveness for, for those reasons. Um, he understands also, as we read, David understands that these, these, um, this forgiveness process is going to be work on his part. It's going to be difficult. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me, um, he goes on to say, I know my transgressions are ever before me. I've sinned. Um, he, he says, purge me with hyssop. So all of these things are rigorous processes. David knows that this is going to be difficult for him, not easy. And, and we have to recognize as Christians, if as a Christian, we walk away from the word of God and enter into a season of sin, it is one thing to sin realize it, confess it, repent, and move on uh, with, with your life because you've made a mistake, because you're human. It's a whole other thing to walk into a season of sin like David did. You have to recognize he, he committed adultery, but he also committed to adultery by having Uriah killed and marrying Bathsheba. And that was not just, that was not right. So he lived with that sin. He lived in that sin for a time. 
Can a believer get in a position where they do that? Yeah, probably so. But what has to happen at that point is a process of cleansing. It is a rigorous thing. David recognizes that it's a rigorous thing, something that he's going to have to go through. He's fully aware of the sin that he's committed. He says it's ever before him. He sees it. He knows that it's against God. It's not against man. In fact, he makes no excuses. He doesn't promise. He doesn't bargain. He simply seeks um, the forgiveness of the Lord. So he's not hes not saying, well, you know, I could do this, I could do this, I could give you this. He's not bargaining. He's not putting anything on the table. Um, I know that most of us, at least at some point in our lives, hopefully early in our Christian walk, we tried to bargain with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. One of the most famous bargains that anybody made with God outside of the Bible, uh, if you've ever heard of Martin Luther, Martin Luther was a lawyer. And uh, he was living in Germany, um, and he had kind of sort of felt the call of, of God on his life before that, but he was traveling home one night, and it was this terrible storm, thunderstorm, lightning flashing, all those kinds of things. He got really scared. He actually stopped the, the, the carriage that he was in and got under it. And when he was under that carriage, he prayed, God, if you will get me out of this storm alive, I will be a priest. Well, God got him out of the storm alive. He became a priest. He went and he began to teach in a seminary. He was studying the book of Romans, discovered that what he found in Scripture was not what the church was teaching. He eventually asked a bunch of questions of the church. We call it the 95 Theses, and it started the Protestant Reformation. I would say don't make bargains with God. You might get into more than you want to. In this case, David didn't make bargains with God. He just said, I've sinned. Cleanse me. I've sinned. Wash me. I've sinned. Purge me. Make me clean again. That was David submitting to God. That was David knowing that only God can cleanse him and restore him. It wasn't on David. It was on God to make him clean, but he understood that he was going to have to take steps. Um, he mentions that the sin um, or, or the guilt of the sin has crushed his bones. He mentions that it, that, that weight has crushed him. He wants the, the Lord to restore him so that he can hear rejoicing again. Um, he wants the type of relationship that he once had with the Lord. And so here's, here's what I would say. Many of us have probably found ourselves at least in some pattern of sin, hopefully maybe not what David did, but some pattern where we're in the wrong, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. It could be an attitude, it could be a thought pattern, it could be some actions that we were doing, whatever it is. Maybe we've woke up and realized, wait a minute, I'm in sin, I'm in the wrong, I need to do things differently from that point forward. Um, what we have to realize is that as a Christian, the very first step is to stop to stop sinning. We, we have to do that. Now, in some cases, that's going to be incredibly difficult. Um, that's going to be something that, that, that we don't easily do because sin has a power, a hold over us. And when we, when we, when we try to, to stop it, sometimes it doesn't want to let us go um, the way that, 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 that we would hope that it would. So once we've stopped sinning, we've got to realize that we've got to turn around and walk back to God. There's, there's, there's no cutbacks to God's righteous road. There, 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 there's no shortcuts back to what God wants us to do. So when we when we sin, we are going opposite God's plan, opposite God's will. We've got to stop, turn around, and walk back. That means that, that all the damage that we did with sin, we've got to walk back through that damage and see where the weak places were. What happened? Where did I go wrong? Why did I make this mistake? What can I do to make sure I don't do this again? You see, repentance is not just about saying, I'm sorry, God. Repentance is about turning away from that sin with a commitment to never go back to it again. And so if, 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 if we sin, but then we 
don't do what it takes to make sure we don't do it again. Have we ever truly repented? What, what David has to do from where he was is turn around and walk back to God. He can't take a shortcut. He, he, he can't cut through the woods. He can't cut through life. He has to go back to God. He has to come back with a contrite heart. And that's something that we must do. It takes humility to get to that point. It takes humility to get to a point where you're willing to give up on your ways. It takes humility to, to, to be willing to give up and say, my best is not anywhere near good enough. I have to turn to God. It takes humility. Uh, we got to give God control of every area of our lives uh, so that His ways become our ways. So it is a change, and it is a powerful change that has to happen. Um, repentance doesn't come easy. That's the simple point there. So it's only when we achieve repentance and, and once that occurs, um, God will begin to cleanse us and rebuild us from the inside out. It's not salvation again, but it is a renewing. It is a rebuild. It is different from what we, what we were. It has to be when we fall into sin like the sin that David fell into. Um, you know, we shouldn't understand because as we read this, um, it, it seems like David moves uh, very, very quickly um, as, as he goes through it. So um, we shouldn't understand that all of this would have happened in one moment. So the, the, the final thing that we see here is service and gratitude. So David, as soon as he gets clean, um, as soon as, as, soon as his, his repentance has happened, he's ready to, to be of service to the Lord. In verse 13 there he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Um, you got to remember that this is an accelerated example of what happened. David didn't bow down and say, Lord, forgive me and let me teach others not to do what I've done. That's not the process. That's not the process. There is a time of repentance. There is a time of cleansing and renewal and restoration. There is a time for those things. Okay, so, so when we read this, it's like David said, forgive me, I repent, boom, let me get back to work and doing the things. No, 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 God is going to slow him down. This, this is kind of a complete story of what's going to happen, but it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one prayer. So it takes time to leave the ways of sin and remember or remind yourself of how to walk in the ways of the Lord. So when David wrote these words, it didn't all happen at once, um, but we do get it all at once. Um, what David's doing here is expressing a desire for the future, what he wants to do next. Once he is restored, David wants to use his story to teach others how to follow the steps of repentance. Look, our testimony isn't finished until, as the Old Testament would say, we lay down and sleep. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're not done. Okay, so yes, your repentance, your testimony should include, you know, Jesus found me, he saved me, he changed my life. It should include that. But as we go, our story keeps happening, right? We, we continue to, to live. We continue to do good. We continue to do bad. We continue to live. David was going to use his story, his testimony to minister to other people that were in the wrong. In other words, David said, I have sinned. And I have walked off the path of God, and I'm going to walk back on the path of God. That's what he wants to teach people to do. So your testimony includes the moment that you're saved, but also the mistakes and the lessons you've learned along the way. So no matter how bad the sin is, God can redeem that, that terrible time in your life by using it to help someone else not make those same mistakes. Um, so God has that power to do that. David knows that he's a transgressor. He understands that he can now help other people know how to return to the Lord. So not only does David want to be a teacher uh, to the fallen, but he wants to declare the praises of the Lord again. 
All you got to do is flip through the Psalms and see that David had a worship life and he wanted to get back into that worship life. He wanted to write praises to the Lord and sing praises to the Lord once again. So he wanted that. So David knows um, that the Lord will only allow him to serve once his heart is right. So that's why he says, create in me a new heart, cleanse me and, and, and make that new heart so that I can serve you again. Um, David's broken over his sin, um, but he knows that the only thing that God's going to accept at this particular moment is, is repent, repentance and total dependence. He's going to have to depend on God. He says, that's all you're taking is a contrite heart. David could have tried to bribe his way out of it. I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice 400 bulls. I'll, I'll, I'll kill all these animals. I'll make all these sacrifices. I'll give gold. I'll give whatever. He doesn't try to bribe his way out of it because he knows that God wants his heart to change. Then God, then David can begin to make offerings. Um, so as soon as that relationship with God is restored, not only is David wanting to serve, but he is also wanting to show his gratitude. With a, re with a renewed relationship comes a renewed sense of gratitude for what the Lord has done. So David wants to show his gratitude to God. And so as soon as he can, he says, then I will offer bulls. I will make offerings. But God, you have to rebuild this house. So when he's saying rebuild Zion, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, He's not necessarily talking about the physical city at that point, but his own heart. God has to rebuild him, make him strong again, so then he can give sacrifices and burnt offerings. So um, once David's been restored, he understands that he can begin to do that again. Um, and, and look, people, God is good. And so when we are right with God, we're going to want to give to God. We're going to want to make offerings to him and show uh, him gratitude. But it only comes after we have been broken over our sin and only after we have been restored by God. So this episode in the life of David is sad, but in one way or another, it's probably familiar to a lot of us. Where David walked down a path, he wasn't paying attention the way that he should, and he made a mistake. If we're honest, we probably all have had some season of, of sin in our lives and our sin, it leaves us in an unrecognizable state, a lot like David was at that time. But as Christians, we should know um, how to get out of that, how to, how to get away from that. So one thing, once we've walked down the path of sin, we have, to, we have to come back to the Lord by turning around. That's what repentance means. Turn around. Return to the Lord. Turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. That's what David does here. And what's waiting for him is forgiveness. What's waiting for him is mercy. What's waiting for him is God restoring him, establishing a clean heart in him, and making him new. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us this morning. As we have looked at your word, we have seen the process that David went through to repent, um, to begin his road to restoration. I pray that you help us uh, as Christians, as believers, um, to, to recognize that that's important for all of us to take that time, um, to take that time. And if we have made mistakes, if we have done things that we're not supposed to do, I pray that you help us to seek restoration in our lives. We know that that, that, that involves repentance. We know that that involves um, humbling ourselves before you. And we know that eventually that's going to involve renewed service that's going to involve renewed gratitude towards you. Father, thank you again for this time and David's example. It is a sad, sad thing that, that he did. It's a sad thing that happened in Israel because of what he did. But you have chosen to use this to teach us, and I pray that it can, can help us to always be awake and be vigilant 
that it will help us to know how to repent if that time comes. But I pray that it will also help us to remember Your mercy, the fact that You were willing to forgive Him, and You are willing and ready to forgive us as well. Thank You for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.